This is Emerging Possibilities, powered by Volvo Group Australia. Here we talk to industry experts about the future of mobility and how it will shape both our lives and the world we live in. Hello and welcome to Emerging Possibilities. And this is probably our second show for 2023. So in 2023, starting off with a bit of a bang. So joining us today, we've got James McFarlane, the National Sales and Marketing Manager for Geotis and Stuart Asplett, Sub-Regional MD. And uh, sorry if that was career limiting because I said you before the boss. So. <laughs> That's fine. He's the future. <laughs> now, there's some bit of news with you guys. You've taken delivery of your first electric truck in Australia and our first electric sale in Australia. Yeah. Is that right, Tim? Yeah, and our first FE in the country as well. So good to see that one here built up and going into service. FE, explain. Oh, FE is our larger of our two models we've had available in the Australian market for 18 months now. So the FL is the smaller one, the one that seems to be getting a lot of the, the news at the moment. But I think the FE, this one in particular, being our first commercial sale, going to a trusted partner in Geotis and the first FE in the country is, is quite a special milestone in general. So I'd probably like to kick off by a little bit of background, like Stuart. So you're the MD of Geotis in this region, which is Australia, New Zealand, I Correct. think you were saying. Yep. So who are you? What do you do? And probably you're, what is Geotis? So Geotis is a global logistics company. So uh, we're a multinational. We're a top 10 provider. We have five lines of business, which are two trucking divisions, FTL and LTL, a contract logistics division, a 4PL division, and a global freight forwarding division. So basically, we're an end-to-end service provider to and from anywhere in the world. Right. And so where would most people who like don't operate in business, what would their touch points with your business be usually? Typically, we're a B2B. Obviously, the B2C element of our business is growing in various yep. locations around the world, specifically the Americas. So most touch points would be within the business environment, yep. outside of obviously seeing the odd truck on a road or a brand here or there. So really, the B2B environment is where we, we, we're most visible. Yeah, cool. So James, sales and marketing, so I can rely on you to put a bit of spin on what's going on. So um, I can simplify it if you like. So, <laughs> so for those who are listening, we really are essentially a travel agent for freight. So if you go to book your holiday at you know, your good. local yeah, yeah, travel yeah. agent <laughs> and, you, and you want to get a good deal on your flight or your, your cruise or whatever it might be, we do exactly that, but for goods and we move them all around the world. So Interesting. So transport isn't sort of generally the kind of environment you just kind of like stumble into one day. It's like, you know, hey, this looks like something kind of cool because it's a kind of business that really demands a bit of commitment. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, like fast paced, constantly changing and many challenges as part of that as the world evolves, globalization, and then everything that goes with, you know, you look at what's happened in Australia in the last couple of years with floods and fires and that extends to a global level as well. So, um, yeah, it requires a lot of commitment. And it's an incredibly complex business too. Uh, I should point that out. So, given that, what gets you out of bed in the morning? I, like, I bring this up a lot because we talk to people in transport all the time. And it's, again, it's you don't just sort of like go, yeah, I'm going to try this for a bit. It just, you tend to get into it and you stay in it and it sort of starts to become a, a part of what you do. Mm. So. 
Yeah, well, I think um, you know what gets me out of bed is the end to end. You know, a lot of people don't really realise what logistics actually is. And you know, if when you you know get up in the morning and you know you go down the local supermarket to get a loaf of bread or, or milk or whatever, but so many things that hit the the supermarket shelves, people would have no clue how it got there, other than the fact that it might have arrived on a truck. But some people don't really realise that some of that might have come from some far flung corner of the earth, and we're the intermediary to get it there. And so, as Stuart mentioned before, typically a B two B is where we sort of hover, although some other areas we do a bit of B2C, but effectively the excitement of, of being, you know, that cause and effect. Um, so a lot of people, you know, they go through their their careers and they might do a certain function, but not really have that sense of purpose. And the good thing about logistics is that sense of purpose. So given the, this point in history, like as I'm assuming neither of you started in transport last week. So like... Uh, Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm more getting at like, uh, I think we've seen a lot more focus on supply chains in recent times and, and all that sort of stuff. So that in itself has been, I know it's been something that we've noticed. There's a lot more discussion about like, okay, like stuff doesn't just appear That's and right. all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, and when, when I mentioned incredibly complex, I didn't mean that in a sort of demeaning way, but more the no. fact that there's just so many things or touch points that goes into doing what we do. So, you know, Stuart and myself, probably fair to say we started out in the regulatory side of the business in terms of, you know, customs and border clearance. And then, you know, that sort of eventually sort of leads into the actual physical movement and how that intertwines and, you know, negotiating with shipping lines and airlines and, you know, how do we get our customers' products from where they are to where they need to be, you know, in the fastest and most cost effective manner. So. Yeah, I mean, logistics isn't an industry which has a lot of natural pathways for people to get into. So it's really an industry where you get exposed to it in some way. And typically that exposure is then what motivates you to become more involved and then form a career within the industry. So, um, yeah, it's one of those sort of industries you, a lot of people fall into sort of backwards. And, but once they're into it, because of what James explained, I mean, it's fast paced. It's different every day, right? So meeting those different challenges every day for our business and our customers is what motivates you and keeps life in. Interesting, so to speak. Are they new challenges? Are they different challenges? Are they getting 100%. harder challenges? Uh, you know, there's always, you know, the last three years have thrown a lot of complexities into it, I'd imagine, but is it getting more fulfilling overall? Yeah, well, it's getting more challenging. I was using a positive spin by saying fulfilling. Reflecting it, I mean, yeah. I mean, globally, the world has gone through <laughs> the biggest shipping crisis that we've almost ever seen, right? Which has also transferred in domestic markets around the world, including Australia and New Zealand. So, yeah, the challenges have definitely been coming at a faster rate, more complex by nature, and because of that, take longer to deal with. So mm. nothing unwinds quickly when you're talking about logistics on a global scale, which then obviously permeates into domestic markets around the world. I think, because you're right, like there are so many moving parts to a supply chain. It's a pretty unique sort of ecosystem. And so, so what's the motivation to introduce more complexity by, you know, introducing another technology like a zero emissions solution into that because it's not a small undertaking. It's not like you just go, hey. It's more fulfilling, I think, is the word we were looking for. Not challenging, So fulfilling. you just answered your own question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but there, I mean, there's multiple reasons, right? Because first of all, Volvo's been a long-term partner, 30 years plus, mm. and the spirit of the relationship has always been one of forward thinking, growth, evolution, which is why the partnership has lasted um, so long and continues to grow and thrive, so to speak. So that's the first reason. Second reason, and James can elaborate on this better than I can, I mean, obviously we have as a business very strong sustainability targets and strategies that we need to, to undertake. Our customers, many of them have the same targets and strategies. So for me, this is a, a representation of, you know, 
a solid business partnership and a great business partnership actually taking a tangible step in relation to sustainability. Because from my view, I hear about sustainability all the time, mm. but seeing businesses and parties take tangible steps, you don't often see big steps like this. So for us, you know, it made perfect sense to undertake this with, um, with Volvo. I'll say that from my side as well. It makes sense to go in partnership with you guys and understand it as well and take this leap. And, you know, you said you hear a lot about sustainability and strategies and bits of paper, but, yeah. you know, this is a true action into exactly. understanding what it means for your business. It is a challenge or a fulfilling thing to take on, but it means that overall we're, we're taking that path. We're actually going on the path in general, I'm saying, as logistics companies in Australia with, you know, zero emissions trucks. So from my side of things, it was always going to be a great one to do you know, with Yotus and the use case you have in this in this instance, A to B to A is very programmable as well. So a good, for me, a first step into understanding these vehicles and how they can operate within the system. Yeah, 100%. So I think though, what you were touching on like earlier too, like it's the transport end user has been also been making demands on That's their right. supply chain to decarbonise. I suppose we should fess up on this one. We're actually the transport end user. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> so, the, and, yeah, um, we're the provider yeah. and the consumer. Are. So, so Joe. Jo, yeah. <laughs> and the guinea pig working with the other guinea pig. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a great global science experiment. But, you know, overall, I think the, the important part is to, to say about all this is that we've done the analysis as to how this will operate and how it will work and making sure that there's enough so provisions and understanding. We should, probably should flesh that out a bit. So our colleague Jenny couldn't make it today. She, yes. um, and it was her that first scoped out this particular route that, hey, an electric truck could work on this. And this is – so the actual application is parts going to our Minto warehouse from your premises Correct. in um, Matraville. And really from all over the world. So yep. mm. so for listeners, essentially, those parts have been produced in a, in a Volvo warehouse or production facility anywhere in Europe or the US. And they've been transported by air or ocean into Australia to be fed into Volvo's own distribution network. And, and so part of that is for us to get it from that point of arrival into your DC. Yeah, cool. And I'm not trying to bang the Volvo drum too much, but I think it was just, it's one of the, like, we don't often, we've had a couple of cases of people that we're speaking to that like, you know, hey, a customer sitting here looking at this and said, hey, we want a zero emission solution for that, or that'll fit with wherever. But I think uh, in this case, it was a great example of an employee who felt empowered enough to actually just go, hey, let's give this a crack. And then obviously the momentum's gone from there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jenny contacted me. I mean, we've been aware of Volvo's sustainability targets at a global, regional, local level for a long time. And, and yeah, there's, so there's been ongoing discussions around that. So when Jenny contacted myself around, what do you think of this idea? Because it was purely her idea. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought it was a great idea. And, yeah, obviously, you know, with the modelling and the research that you guys did in terms of how would this route work and what can we expect and the rest of it, which was all, you know, very detailed and, and very helpful, yeah, it made the decision very easy. I think Jenny let me sit in my chair for the first week before she uh, pounced on me and said, we need to do this, we need to look into this. So she gave me the first week on the job to settle in, but ever eager to get this going and understand if it was a possibility because, you know, she's got to sit there and report on on her emissions and what they, how they're consuming uh, emissions in general. And for her, this was a... A great one going forward. So yeah, and true win-win for both. Oh, I think so for, as well for both parties. And yeah, you know, again, reflective of the strong partnership that we enjoy with mm. Volvo. Mm. It's interesting too because we're a big, unwieldy global like manufacturer, like with multiple business units and all that sort of stuff. To be able to have a level of collaboration like that, I actually think is worth kind of 
sounds pretty cool. Actually, like, it actually happened pretty quick, to be fair. And by the time we went from analysis in, I think, like August and we were having our meetings about the commercials of it all in, I don't know, November, December in 2021. Yeah, that, yeah that's right. We moved quickly. And obviously, outside of Jenny, you know, we had the support of Chris Murphy from mm. Minto, yep. Andrew Barker up here in, mm. in Queensland. So mm. the whole Volvo organisation, nice. you know, were very, uh, you know, very supportive from Jenny and around Jenny, including yourself. So. Mm. Do you think that this is something you're going to see more of, like customers actually going like, hey, I've just seen that this company is using an electric vehicle on this, like? Already doing it. We're seeing it everywhere. I mean, I'm in a sales and marketing role, so I'm sort of first-hand entry into the business for new customers and, mm. and new brands, and, and that's probably the forefront of most business that we bid and pitch on at the moment is really around what are our sustainability goals, how do we align with our customers' values, and, and thankfully, Jodis and Volvo are very, very aligned in terms of their ESG targets, mm. but essentially- Just what are those targets? Because we we talk about them a lot, but yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, so for us, our goal is to reduce emissions by 30% by 2030, and obviously, it's publicly available if you want to have a look, mm. um, but essentially, 90 plus percent of our emissions don't actually come from our, our assets. Mm. They come from subcontractors, right, and, and, and you might call them scope three emissions uh, in, in the sense of the term, right? Yep. So for us, it's really about how do we work with partners? You know, we've introduced things like sustainable fuels for air and ocean as well. So not just in terms of the land transport space, but also what we do for the broader part of our business in terms of freight forwarding. So it's a pretty exciting time to be at the at the start of this or, or mm. the beginning and this partnership and then adding this vehicle to the mix is just adding into the the nice solution and helping us on our path. So, so you're good. providing this up or are, they, are your customers asking for this as part of your submissions? Both, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so like I said, before we, you know, we get new requests for customers and, you know, the standard, what's the price or whatever the case may be is, but essentially when we're looking at, you know, complex supply chain solutions, it's really about what are we actually physically doing mm. so that we can help the customer meet their own goals. Yeah, and it's fair to say we have, you know, obviously we have an extensive customer base here in Australia and, you know, several of other major customers are aware of, of the this partnership and I guess the pilot to, to a certain extent and are very keen to get on board, you know, should it be successful in terms of further electric vehicles and the rest of it. And I'm talking about brands that everyone would know, right? So yeah. very big companies um, who are very keen to, you know, try and join this journey. Yeah, and I guess over... Let's talk about the last three years and the increase of inquiry as well. Have, would you say five years ago, three years ago, it was negligible amount of inquiry to now yeah, it's I mean, almost a fixture of a... Yeah, of a, so if we go back to what I was talking about, about you know, working on a tent or a bid, you know, five years ago, sustainability would have been more to do with governance, right? Yep. Less so about trying to reduce emissions yep. and, and, you know, and carbon footprint, more to do with what's your overall governance process. Mm. Now it makes up a significant proportion of what we have to participate it's in. Amazing. So, so it's, See, it's that, a, even just that change in the, yeah, in I the mean, requirements. Yeah. And I think you've seen during the, the COVID years, you know, there's been a noticeable change globally across supply chains around the importance of you know, ESG. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put on my cynic hat and just go, like, what is motivating that? Is it a, like, do you think it's a, it started off as a bit of a, a, a marketing positioning, like, or do you think it's um, been driven by a nobler cause? Oh, I think more of a nobler cause, I think it's fair to say for us. I mean, it's it's at the heart of what we do. I can't say too much today, but yeah, we are about to announce something shortly from our CEO around this particular piece for us and, and it, it's, it's very important to our business and will help drive it forward. So I don't think it's clever marketing from our point of view. It's more the fact that it's in the culture of who our no, business yeah, is. Yeah, I think it's in the main, it, it's been genuine since the inception for most businesses globally and locally, but it's taken time for various reasons, you know, complexity reasons, cost reasons, social 
social economic reasons in terms of working out how to actually do it and do it in a in a methodical fashion, so to speak. So mm. certainly the COVID years sped it up because I think that brought a reflection on the whole world and, <laughs> and certainly big plays in the global landscape that we need to look after our, our planet better than we have done up until this point. But I don't think that changed the intent which was there from the very start. I think it just helped speed it up a little. Another thing as well as I think, well, from our side, the technology wasn't available five years ago. just about to mention You know, that, yeah. we didn't, trying to do the math quickly, yeah, we didn't have a truck in production five years ago at all, an electric zero emissions truck. So the availability of SAF, aviation fuel, yep, sustainable right. aviation yep, fuel, that's right. um, and these vehicles helps as well. So it's kind of this nice little pile on of, you know, COVID wanting to be better, the intent being grown uh, yep. throughout that, and technology available to actually do it because putting it in a, homemade van that can do 10 kilometers with the technology mm. available 10 years ago was never going to work in a commercial sense. Yeah. I mean, I think the timing, you know, it sounds a little bit cliche, but the timing is now. I mean, if mm. we look at the technology that's available, I mean, and, and like I said, we we are an asset owner. We do have a lot of trucks and vehicles around the world, not so much in Australia, but probably the rest of the world. And we are a big contributor. So as you guys know, transport sort of makes up about 16 to 70% of global emissions. But if you look at what's available right now, hyd- everyone's talking about hydrogen. We've got this abundance of water and what can we do with it? And, and the problem is with hydrogen is it's just not quite there yet. And then we look at sort of biodiesel as well. The availability of that equipment's just not on the market just quite yet. Um, it's coming to market, but the timing for now for electric is here and it's working. And so we're really keen to adopt it. So. That's a great summary to be fair. Like, you know, biodiesel and a HVO, you know, because there is a limited supply, it's at a high cost if you can get it. And that's only ever going to grow and more push is going to be going down that way. Hydrogen, the technology is coming and, and will mature, but there's a lot of infrastructure and water on the bridge to go before that's a strong, viable option. But the electrics are. You know, it's a, it's a glorified PowerPoint in a truck that's a truck. It is here and now and and ready to go. And I think a great starting point overall in terms of decarbonisation of a freight task in general with more to grow and more use cases to grow as the electric gets better, the you know, renewable diesel comes online and is available at a decent cost and hydrogen matures as well. You can start to open up more applications. That's right, yeah. But as a business, as somebody who operates in transport space. Can you honestly say that sustainability makes business sense? Like, is that a fair statement? I think it does, but on a number of levels. You know, if you're looking just in dollars and cents, look, you know, it's cost is still the major barrier right now. So yeah, the time is here and now for electric for us, but cost is still a major impost. And, you know, we wouldn't be able to do that without a partnership approach. But in terms of what makes business sense, it's multifaceted. It's not just as simple as can we buy the asset and can we deploy it? There's more that goes into that. And and, and so like, you know, from a customer level, our customers demand it, the consumers demand it. We know, and, and it's funny since, you know, since I became a, a dad, it's starting to think a little differently, you know, like what's going to be here for my kids in the future. And, and you know, if we keep burning up, and doing what we're doing, then it's a no-brainer. So I think to answer that question, I think it does make good business sense. It's just the question is how quickly can we turn that around and, and get people thinking in this way? So. I'm looking at the MD now. Yeah, no, I agree. I, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I mean, we talk right up front about that, you know, one of the the attractions of the transport and logistics industry is the, is the pace of change. So we're an industry that does change and change rapidly, sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in big ways. So for me, it makes sense. Um, it's what the world wants it's what our customers want it's what we want so yeah it makes perfect business sense and you know even we've talked about the volvo partnership but setting this up yeah we had two other partners come to the party to make it you know viable so we had uh, our landlord goodman who came to the party and, and helped out with the infrastructure costs to put in the charger and then the charger itself another partner in abb came to the party so you can see 
everyone wants to get involved and everyone wants to be on this path for the future. So that alone underlines why it makes sense. Okay. It's interesting. And I, I suppose I was just, the reason that I was bringing that up was that because we're in the trucking space, you can end up with a little bit of a myopic view of the industry. That's only one part of the mm. supply chain, right? That, like, that's right. So as a global logistics provider and that there's a lot more moving parts in what you do. And traditionally, the tracking space has been slow to adopt, right? Like it's, um, I remember actually when Europe went from Euro 5 to Euro 6, there was a flurry of activity operators buying Euro 5 so they didn't have to buy Euro 6, for example. It's, it seems to be sort of endemic of like, oh my God, new technology, mm. let's buy up on the old one so we don't have to deal with the new one. And I'm wondering whether that's changing, but I'm also curious as to what parts of your business or, or the environment you operate in is quick to move. I can give you an example. I mean, right now in Europe, you know, we're starting to remodel how we do our, our final mile. So, you know, for example, you know, in highly densely populated areas, or even if you walk down the CBD, we can all recall, you know, walking down the main street and you can't hear yourself think because there's a bus or a truck going past and it's a big diesel burner and, you know, that type of thing. And then, you know, the quality of air and those types of things. So now we're starting to look at, you know, repositioning intermediary hubs so that we can position cargo in a more effective and, and sustainable way. So instead of, you know, having a distribution center that might be way out in the sticks where it typically would be, mm-hmm. and then, you know, a, a flurry of trucks coming into the CBD or the general metropolitan area, we're now looking at hubbing cargo much closer to the source and then using, you know, electric vehicles and those types of things in those built-up areas. So smaller vehicles, smaller, more of them more often. Yeah, and optimizing loads too. I mean, you guys would probably be familiar with, you know, these big assets flying around and, you know, the trailer's, you know, three quarters full, you know, mm-hmm. and that could be a combination of things because, you know, the style of packaging, the materials used, the load that's planned for the day and the demand from the customer at the other end. So as you mentioned, Tim, you're right, smaller vehicles, higher productivity, higher load factors, those types of things make a big difference. And actually, I'm going to ask you, Tim, oh. seeing just we probably haven't really covered what this truck does, how far it's going to go. So it goes from Matraville to Minto. It's about 47 kilometers Correct. each yeah, way. Something like that, yeah. It's a 10 pallet curtain side of vehicle moving the part. So a lot of the time with this operation, there's a mix between the weight and the volume right. overall. So depending, and the load changes significantly from day to day. It does. So overall, it can do up to three loops of that in a day with the ABB charger installed, moving those parts around. So it's, it's flexible in doing what it needs to do. And I guess, you know, as I said before, the use case of A to B back to A, it's very programmable in terms of what it's going to do as well. And a great, I think, personally, from all the use cases I've analysed, one of the great starting points of a vehicle running a lot but in a simple manner to get started overall. So I remember you and I, Tim, talking about this a few months ago and we're saying, you know, we really wanted to opt for a 12-pallet body, you know. Yeah. And the discussion point was, you know, we, we want those two extra pallets because, you know, we're thinking about other applications. But then, you know, when we start to talk about load factors and those types of things and the modelling that Volvo had done and said, okay, look, this makes perfect sense. We mm. can actually optimise this 10-pallet load on two loops a day or three yeah. loops. Yeah, I think it's, it's like 90-something percent is it two, is two loops um, covers your volume side of things and weight side of things. So. Yeah, spot on, right? Yeah. And, and then, and, and you mentioned, you know, the energy that's, I guess, not being used or being wasted on that airspace. Yeah. Mm. So it starts to make a little bit more sense when you start to break it down and really think about what actually makes up a load. It's not just about, you know, complying with the laws and making sure that the vehicle's not overloaded or underloaded for that matter. It's yeah. actually making sure we get the optimal load on it. So it's mm. very good. So as a, a logistics business, does this sort of conversation make you look further within your business in terms of like efficiencies around like, you know, there are certain things that we can't get around quite yet. The mm-hmm. technology is still emerging, but is a part of that load optimization flow into elsewhere into your business in terms of the efficiencies that you can get? Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we've been looking for a while of you know, around other efficiencies in terms of what we control and what we don't control. You know, so we've worked with partner landlords for, for, for solar. So the example here at Matraville is, you know, the energy the truck will consume to recharge uh, will largely come from solar energy. Yeah. So it's a majority of the power. Yeah, so, so it was about 48% of our incoming load was generated from the solar on our, on our roof, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's the exciting ju- part yeah, just, so, just your own roof. Yeah. yeah, so let's bring it back to your question about yep. does this make good business sense? I mean, if I went to fill up on a, you know, a 400-litre tank or two tanks of diesel, mm. you know, we're looking at several thousands of dollars, right? Whereas mm. if I plug this thing into the grid, half of that's coming for free. Yeah, right? yeah, that, yeah. That energy, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it'll be interesting to see the economics behind all that. And I see can't wait. You, I'm yeah, excited, yeah. yeah, yeah, see how that, that all works out. But yeah, that's the thing is it, it's a mobile battery. You can, you can treat these trucks like a mobile battery. And if it's a truck and a mobile battery, I think when you start to factor in that in terms of your sustainability goals and rather than putting a stationary battery in to consume or absorb the solar production, it starts to get interesting as to how the economics get to play and we're adding in more factors and more analysis for you and more complexities. But I think overall, if you you know, especially in this use case, once it's up and running and, and completely refined, it'll add a huge advantage as well. Mm. So what major challenges do you think you face in the sustainability space? Probably, and I'm, I just mean your business locally. I'm not asking you to sort of comment on a global there's two in my view. One is obviously cost because the technology is not cheap and that, that's not just talking about electronic vehicles, it's talking about automation in warehouses mm. or or whatever you're talking about. So, But that's a challenge that both us as a business and our customers need to face together and also our supplier partners as well because, you know, they're a big part of this and as you mentioned before, the trucking industry in Australia at times can be slow to uptake, which yeah. is why, you know, big multinationals like us need to you know, lead by example, so to speak. So cost is definitely one. And then structurally, supply chains need to change in terms of, you know, the days of taking deliveries, for example, between, you know, 8.30 and 5 o'clock and, you know, structural things like that need to change. So we look at this vehicle, for example, mm-hmm. you know, if the daily loop works well, obviously, ideally, we would then employ the truck what would typically be after hours. We've got customers who are potentially keen to do that and looking to change their supply chains to basically accommodate. So there needs to be an evolution structurally, process-wise. That's a challenge that needs to be met by, again, us and our customers. So these being questions of, you know, operating at night and receiving at night, that has been a question that's been ongoing for some time, but this enables it to come to the forefront more by saying, like, this vehicle is available to do that Correct. if you have yeah. nighttime availability. Yep. But it's going to do it quietly. So you might get around restrictions or whatever it is that you know previously prohibited that operation yeah night. absolutely it opens up a whole new discussion mm. around the viability of nighttime deliveries and you know, and does it make sense mm-hmm. our experience has almost been like there's also an education side of things as well like this i've been told that we have this sustainability goal or whatever but like uh, there's for a long time, we've been having discussions around, okay, well, how do I get there? Like, it's one thing to have the goal, but I don't even know what the pathway looks like and what technology is the right thing to adopt and all of that sort of thing. So I said, it's probably fair to say that we're still kind of in that jungle to a degree. Do you find, are your customers asking you like how to get there? hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and that's why it needs to be a collaborative approach between us, our customers, and our suppliers in terms of yeah, how do we get there together? Because you can't do it individually, so to speak. And so, with your business locally, what do you think the landscape looks like in a decade? 
Oh, I think it'll dramatically shift. I mean, we, we started to talk just earlier about, you know, changing hubs and intermediary points and those types of things. So I think you know, as our customers and, and the general public become more and more demanding in this area and, and, you know, we've all got a shared responsibility, I think that the landscape will change significantly and, and even things like basic decision making. Do I actually need it now today? Will I actually, you know, request mm. something from, a you know, that, that T-shirt that I wanted and do I, must I have it by 9pm tonight or am I better off taking the more economical approach where the truck's fully optimised and it'll come in two or three days time and you know simple things like that could make a big difference we touched on this in a, a very early podcast yeah. and very quickly but why next day delivery for your, your t-shirt could you pick the the greener option and that doesn't need to be a zero emissions vehicle being available that could be That's right. the vehicle is better loaded it's filled it's yep. filled up it could be the cheaper option it could be a combination of all the rest of it yep. and getting that understanding of what your decision making as a consumer looks like in, in, in post onto the uh, logistics industry and, and those emissions around it. So mm. it's not about, oh, well, I'll pay an extra dollar on yep. my delivery to get the green vehicle, but it's still coming tonight. Mm. It's, well, no, I'll give you time to work this out and do it in a more efficient way. Yep. I think that understanding needs to come through as well. Oh, yeah. 10 years from now. We're doing 10 years from now. Yes. Uh, we are doing 10 years from now. Well, I hope that's at least deployed pretty soon, to be fair. Yeah, giving, <laughs> giving consumers the option and education that they can consume transport or logistics in that way. Yeah, and I mean, the other major asset owners globally, when you look at global logistics or transportation, you know, so the shipping lines, the vessel owners are already looking at hydrogen, they've already got LNG mm. in place, you know, you've got the, you know, the airlines looking at, you know, various methods, including hydrogen. So, you know, so it's that combined global focus, which means that I think there will be strong evolution in the next 10 years. Yeah, right. Wow. Well, this is a been a very exciting place to play and uh, congratulations on the delivery of your first electric truck locally. Thank you. And, Thank um, you. We're very excited. <laughs> so are we, to be fair. You know, as I said at the start, you know, first FE in the country, first commercial sale with a very important partner, collaborative partner and all. I think, you know, you list off before the other people involved, the other industries and companies involved in making this happen and everyone's kind of you know, helped out in their different ways. You know, it's it's been a great journey to be on to see people really getting around this project and seeing it successful and implemented. We still got to put the truck on the road and get it operating, but the bones are there for a, a successful deployment. I agree totally. And as I said before, it's a true step. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it's not paper anymore. It's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see it soon. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks Thank for you. Coming. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to Emerging Possibilities. Send your comments, suggestions, and questions to emerging.possibilities at volvo.com. And of course, remember to rate and review this show.